Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. here with the After Party Pod, bringing you the coolest, funniest, smartest people, addicts, specifically addicts, but people too, talking about addiction and recovery, how they got sober, how they stay sober, what they do. Um, Yeah, it's Monday. I'm tired already. I'm recording this on a Monday and I'm tired already. Last week I was in Alaska. When was the last time you guys were there? Maybe you're in Alaska now. Um, nobody's ever emailed me from Alaska and said, I'm from Alaska and I listen to this podcast, but I think it could be there. Um, I was there speaking at the University of Anchorage, super nice kids to the point that I don't even feel like calling them kids because they are, I met two that are better composed than any 40 somethings I know. It's kind of frightening. One of them, I said, so, I mean, you're going to take over the world, right? And he very calmly said, yeah, I'm going into politics. So it was a a really good experience. Unfortunately, it rained the whole time, so I was not able to see beautiful Alaska. And so I was in downtown Anchorage. It it was good, you know. Um, What can I say? Oh, I can say this, that I went and played bingo at uh, a bingo hall after I spoke with, I went with one of the, the female students, and it was so much fun. Bingo was so much fun. It's very big in Alaska. I wish it was big in L.A. because I play all the time, but it's kind of you only, it's like at clubs that are trying, or bars that are trying to bring in people. Monday night bingo, and that's not really my thing. I want to play in a bingo hall with people who are serious about bingo. I want to feel like it's a competition to win, um, I, unfortunately I did not. We got there for like this 7.30 game. We got there at 9. We played for about 20 minutes and then the next game was at 10.30 and we just, we didn't have it in us to wait. But it was very fun for the 20 minutes or whatever we played. Is that important? I couldn't tell you. But, um, oh, here's what is important. This podcast is now sponsored by Audible. Do you guys know Audible? It's the best the only website out there with audiobooks has over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. If you want a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial from me, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod. Go there. Do it. Support the show. Get a great audiobook. That's what I have to say to you. Before I tell you about our guest today, such a great guy, Mike Gaffney. I heard about him because he's part of uh, this recovery comedy community. This is like, there's even an agency and, and, and there's this group of comedians who are sober who go around um, and do recovery comedy. And I had heard he was one of the funnier ones. And I think I was right. He was on Last, last Comic Standing this last season. And he's from Jersey, where he still lives. He's a single dad of two kids. He got sober at 24. But it sounds like, from what he told me in this interview, he he needed to. That wasn't being alarmist in any way. Um, He was a crack smoker, stealing from his parents. Oh, it's a great story about Al-Anon Gone Well. His mom was really doing all the stuff that they tell you not to do. You know, if you've got a kid that's like stealing from you and, you know, you think he's going to die with drugs, you know, a lot of what they'll tell you in Al-Anon is, you know, you've got to stop, just cut him out. Plus, did you see intervention? They always said it on intervention. Cut him off, 
stop, you know, stop letting him live at home. Um, tell him you can't stand this anymore. Anyway, you, will you hear what she did and, and it worked. But I don't think most moms have the kind of balls that Mike Gaffney's mom clearly has. So stick around. Nice guy. Funny, funny guy. Mike Gaffney. Here he is. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris hilton I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Just do this. Okay, Mike. Nice. So glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so glad that I could get you. And you're in from New Jersey? Yes. I came in Wednesday and I'm leaving tomorrow. Um, and... You choose to live in Jersey. <laughs> yes. That's like by choice. I just want to clarify Yeah, again. I was born in North Carolina. We moved to Jersey when I was six months old. Uh-huh. And I've been a Jersey guy ever since. And I'm 15 miles out of Manhattan. So people, it doesn't, I don't need to be in to be there. You know Jersey guys seven, do this all the time. I know, I know, I know, I know. It takes me 12 minutes to get in. That's what I'm saying and I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 minutes at park and I, I find free parking every day. I've never paid for parking. Okay. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'm buying it. I'm that's not saying that. Have you ever lived in the city? No. Yeah. I lived, I grew up in Jersey City, which is right across from mm-hmm. Manhattan. It's a, I mean, it's like a ghetto. I grew up in an in inner city. Mm-hmm. Now I live kind of like in a suburb. Mm-hmm. I like it. Just, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, I, I get, I have two kids too. I'm a single father. So yeah. like, if I didn't have my kids, I would have a goddamn shoebox in Manhattan. Yeah. That's kind of my mindset. If I didn't have them, I would be in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you have been sober like oh, almost 20 years? 21. February will be 22. Wow. Yeah. Drinking age. Yeah. Well, I was I got clean when I was 24. Uh, no, but yeah. you have been sober at exactly. a person's drinking a, age. A whole person's drinking age. Um, and so, what was the journey? What got you? That's young right. to get sober. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, very young. And so, what happened? Well, I mean, alcohol, I was, I loved drinking when I was a teenager, but then when I got into cocaine, yeah, like I just got focused on just getting high yeah, and I didn't put any money towards alcohol and I just, alcohol was only to bring me down. I would drink vodka to go to sleep. Yeah. You know, that's how I would come down. We were told similar things. Right. I find that rare. Right, really? Well, cause okay, people will say, um, you know, I, I didn't think I was a drug addict because you know, I, I only did drugs if I was drinking. And I'd, I'd be like, that's well, not true for me because I always did coke. I only right. drank to modify that. Right. Yeah. Once it became, I remember my 18th birthday party, my buddy and me, we were big drinkers, but I got into coke for like the last six months and he came to my house to hang out and he's like, let's go out and drink and party. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like, yeah. I'm, my, my money's focused right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I focus my funds. Of course. You know, uh, I'll have a beer, but then the rest goes towards the coke. Yeah. And he wanted to just drink. And then we just parted ways, and he became a stone cold alcoholic. Still, like lives in the streets, alcoholic. Never got into coke. Me, I got. Into, I'm glad I got into coke because I could have been under a bridge with him drinking wine. Hey, yeah. Have you ever heard it's the e ticket in? Yeah, it's like a Disneyland thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. E-ticket? I, don't know. I, heard it. I heard it, and then I stole it. I was like, yeah, I coke the e ticket. Um, but so, yeah, it's interesting because. Um, when you're like, when you have a single-minded devotion to cocaine, mm-hmm. it's a very. I think that's a very different thing. Like, I didn't. I never liked smoking pot. Did you? No. Yuck. Made you paranoid. I, you know what? It made me paranoid that everyone knew I was high. Like, I couldn't. Yeah. I could hide every other drug. Yeah. I felt like I could hide it, yeah, which yeah. I probably wasn't. But pot, I took one hit, and my eyes were pinned, right. and I felt like everyone was like, "Dude, look how high that guy is!" Right. And I hated that feeling. I hated that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just do you think you were just kind of a lightweight with pot too? I think so. Yeah. yeah as soon as I hit it, I was out. I was hit. I didn't like that feeling. So when was the first time you did coke? So I was seventeen. And was it love at first? Sniff? Yeah, pretty much. But I didn't get it because I didn't know what it, I was. I hung out. I mean, I started. I was hanging out since I was like. 13, 14 years old. Like, fresh, every, it's like, it seems like everybody's story. Freshman year, mm-hmm. I was kind of like a shy guy. And then mm-hmm. between freshman and sophomore, that summer is when I really started to do drugs. And I really started to hang out. 
because you start to meet new people. Like, you know, when you're in grammar school, you're kind of like stay in your neighborhood. You yeah. Know? So you don't meet new people. You go to high school, it's 4,000 new people that you yeah. get to meet, you know? And so then I start to hang out with different neighborhoods. Yeah. And those kids, I want to be cool like them. So they were drinking and smoking weed. So I just hang out with them. Yeah. So um, I got into weed, mescaline, and acid. That was like my thing. Oh, wow. I don't think of acid people and coke people as being the same people. They weren't because those two people didn't coincide because once coke took over, that acid mescaline guy was gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting what you say because my grammar school to high school switchover was not that really like that. I kind of went to school with the same people. I went to uh, high school as the same people as grammar school. Oh, okay. But it was the same time. So maybe it's just that age. Right. Everybody, don't any alcoholic you meet says, I had my first drink at 12. Right. Sometimes they say younger. Yeah. No, most of them say it really started when they entered high school. Yeah. It really does. I, yeah. I mean, I think it's like a freedom. Like, you know, you're not so standing. You're not like single file lines to go to school. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah. But also, it's like it doesn't come up that much. I mean, like what yeah. sixth grader is right. like, hey, let's go. <laughs> exactly. You know, did you do that thing where you took the liquor from your parents' liquor cabinet? Well, my father had a bar he mm-hmm. built in like one of those like seventies bars in the middle of the living room, mm-hmm. and behind there was all kinds of stuff. And some I didn't even know. Some was just mixers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so oh my! God, I was wasted, and I, all I drank was grenadine. But I didn't know right, that right. was part of the alcohol. Right. But I started drinking when I was young. I mean, was I drinking with it? But I would crack open. I I've been drinking since I'm like, I would say legitimately probably nine. Wow. Because my grandfather was a stone cold alcoholic Mm -hmm. and he would give every weekend I was drinking with him Mm -hmm. and he let me drink scotch and I chewed tobacco. Mm -hmm. I was just like, like him. He was a criminal. He was in and out of jails. I loved everything about him. I just wanted to be him. And your parents were like totally cool for him to babysit or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're clueless. And now they're so concerned about my kids. Like, really? You left me with the alcoholic who let me set things on fire in the house. Yeah. I, I set the kitchen on fire. And he was totally cool with it. By, not by choice. No, yeah, but... I, by, as a little arsonist? No, not like, hey, watch me set the kitchen on fire. But I had a wooden... Remember the wooden fire trucks that you pull with a rope and it, like, the little bell... Ding, 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 ding. No, but I'm a girl. Yeah, but you still saw the crap. It was like a wooden fire truck and it was wooden. Okay. So I went on the stove and I put the stove on and I put my wooden fire truck <laughs> next to it to put the fire out. And wood fire trucks That's kind of cute. tend to not. But no, I mean, out. but that your logic. Yes, <laughs> and it went oh, 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 kitchen up, all the cabinets done. And he laughed. Oh, he's hilarious. Hey, that's my boy. And so, did he never found sobriety? No, no. He uh, his thing was I can quit any time. He's that guy. Yeah, you know, I can quit any time. I don't really have a problem. I haven't drank a beer in six weeks like that. So if he can do six weeks without drinking a beer, right. you don't have a problem. Meanwhile, he's drinking like vodka. You mean? No, or? but he would he would put it down, but yeah. he, like you know, then pick it back up. And yeah, he was always in jail for DUIs and getting into fights in bars at sixty five. Like he was just. Did your grandmother stay with him? No, well, she did. Well, she moved away. They stayed together, but yeah. she lived in North Carolina. He stayed in Jersey. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's the way to be married to a guy like that. Yeah, exactly. And did it skip a generation? The alcoholism. Um, no, my whole uncles and aunts are, well, my uncles had problems. But not your parents? No, no, my mother's like never drinks. Mm -hmm. My father was a, my father was a correction officer, so he was straight laced. Mm -hmm. My grandfather I'm talking about is my mother's father. Mm -hmm. My father's father was like a straight up Catholic, like my father was going to be a priest. Mm -hmm. So they were like, boom, strict. So you start like the cocaine and the drinking and then you go uh and then what happens you graduate from high school Mm -hmm. i graduate i'm the i love doing like i was like the social coke guy for a while Uh i think we all have the same story i mean like we go out sniff coke talk to everybody yeah and then it slowly goes away like that social like i want to be around everybody i want to be around nobody i just want to get coke and go in my room and leave me alone right that's where it went instantly Yeah. yeah and i was like from 19 to like 21 i could not do anything other than coke in my room yeah how often were you doing it? Like every every day and night or every night? Every single night. And then I would I worked at a paint store and I only worked there so I could rob them. So I would go in and I would take money out of the register. Uh-huh. I would go in and I had keys to the place at night. Uh-huh. So I would go in at night, open up the safe and just take cash. And they never caught you? Yeah, I would do this scam. I did I ran this scam where I would ring it I would ring up a return. It was back, you know, before 
technology. So yeah. you write everything out yeah, on yeah. paint. So I would write out a, a, a return. This guy returned three gallons of paint, and then I would take the money out, but I always take it. But where's the gallons of paint that you were supposed to There's take? no system of like right. inventory. Right, there's so much paint there. That and there's no inventory is. system. There's like, I put the three gallons, who knows if there's three gallons gone right. or here, we don't know. That's You know what's weird about that is that I had a very, very one of my bad memories of Coke is I decided at like three in the morning that I wanted to paint my closet. I had this, like, <laughs> this apartment I had like, it was the whole wall was closet. Right. I don't take my clothes out. <laughs> then I went to the paint store. Like, I'd stayed up all night with the coat. Mm-hmm. And I went to the paint store, and I was like, I want gray paint. Right. And the woman's like, oh, okay. Like, do you want silver gray, gray gray, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I just remember looking at her and going, she's testing me. You know that weird <laughs> yeah, kind of paranoia? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And I just was like, gray, gray, okay. And I'm like, oh, paint. Um, the bottom of sorts. So, so... <laughs> They never caught you. How long did you work at the paint store? I got caught finally. I worked there because I worked until I was 20, almost right before, about a, six months before I got clean. Uh-huh. They, uh, they caught me, finally. They caught me. And they like, were just like, Mike, how was, could you? Yeah, and they were like, I've been working there since I was 17 years old, so they really loved me, and they had high hopes for me to be somebody. And I just, uh, I've been robbing them ever since. I've been, I used to rob them. I used to steal spray paint. And I would take lists from the kids in the streets. Like, what do you want? What do you want? I'd take a big grocery so list. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then I would sell spray paint two dollars a can, and I would steal cans of spray paint, and then they would pop my trunk and sell two dollars. Who ordered the white? <laughs> <laughs> so, can I ask what kind of financial amends you had to make to that paint store? Well, I haven't. <laughs> really? Uh, what happened was a friend of the family, a close friend of the family, was. Like their controller, like he was the one who got me the job mm-hmm. in the first place. So, to him, like as me being clean and and my life getting better, like that whole family that owned the paint company was so happy. That like, is so nice of that. That I was like better. Like they yeah. didn't care about nothing. They didn't, never charged me with anything. They nothing. They were just yeah. Just like Mike is a good guy. We know he's a good guy. He's just right. got to get his shit together. Right. 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 So. Okay, and so then you did you go to treatment? Did you just go? Well, I, I stopped doing coke for I always. It's like I, I really felt good. I quit like my grandfather went six weeks and no beer. I quit coke for three days. Yeah, I was like, oh, this got this, got this nailed it. Yeah, and I, uh, I went into I moved out of my neighborhood and I went back in to the neighborhood and I was just gonna go have a beer, get out. Yeah. You know, and uh, when I pulled in front of the bar, my butt, my best friend was walking up and said, hey, you want to take me and this guy to Harlem? We're going to cop some crack. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take you. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I don't get high anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Three days later, I'm clean, bro. Right. And he's like, hi, right, cool. Um, I don't know, four seconds after they bought the crack, I was like, can I have some of that? Right. Uh, and then I was done. And I smoked crack from 21 to 23. Oh, really? And that's what brought me. Yeah. I mean, Coke was really the same. I think I was the same, would have, the same results if I would have stayed doing Coke. Right. But crack really, really just, oh my God, just ripped me. Two years and I was done. And what were, so if you like to hole up in your, like, you know, in your just bedroom or whatever it was Mm -hmm. doing the Coke. So with the crack, did you get to tinfoil on the windows? Were you just full on not leaving your house? I never. I la- I stayed in my bathroom. Uh-huh. If you go to the same house I live in, the sink. You live in the same place. Yeah, my, well, it's my family's house. Uh-huh. And so upstairs in the bathroom, the sink has all my cigarette burns. Oh wow! From just sitting in there not leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a hole around the sink is just brown cigarette burns. Wow. From me being in there and I'm just not being able to leave that bathroom. So you were living at home this whole time. Yeah. And your parents didn't know. My my father knew he's a you know he's a correction officer so he right. spotted a criminal. Right. Uh, my mom, I'm her angel, so she doesn't want to know. But she knows. I mean, stuff's missing. Money's always missing. She would steal from that. Oh my god, big time. Yeah. And uh, and at the, towards the end, my father, <clears throat> I never knew this until I got clean. But my father would he he would leave all his money in his pocket, and mm-hmm. he had like, thousands of dollars in his pocket. And I would do like a belly crawl mm-hmm. to get into his pocket to steal his money. And while he's there? Is he wearing sleeping pants? Oh. No, I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I would still do that if I was that good. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I would crawl while he was sleeping. He'd leave his pants over his bed and I would crawl in the room. I would take right. 20, 40 bucks at a clip. But he noticed. 
he knew it. And my mom told me after I got clean, and he left it in his pocket so you wouldn't go rob us from the streets because he knew that you would get your drugs. Right. He'd just rather you get it from here and not go to jail. Do you have siblings? Half brother, half sister. Yeah. From my mom's first marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so you, the crack, um, and were you just miserable from the minute you were like pulled up alone doing the coke? Or was it still quote unquote? Never. F- I don't remember. I cannot tell you. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like drinking. I like hanging out. I, I mean, but I don't, re- I can't remember a time where coke was enjoyable. I don't remember it. You don't, you don't remember the first I don't remember that. I don't because I just don't. I don't. I know it was always an obsession. Even from the first, even if it was social, I was still obsessed over getting more. Yeah. I remember you were talking about painting your closet, your mm-hmm. you know coke brain. Um, <clears throat> this woman I used to buy coke from, she uh, she always had brain fart. She was up. She never slept. Mm-hmm. She never ate and she never slept. She was just like so sick looking. Mm-hmm. She had mounds of coke because she <clears throat> this guy was like owned like half a. Channel 9 mm-hmm. would buy Coke and she would charge him like five times the amount of what it actually cost. So right. she was able to buy herself an ounce every day right. off wow. of his 40 piece. You know? right, right. So we would just tap into that and every day we would get the new stuff and she would sell me some and stuff. Right. But um, she always had harebrained schemes so she wanted new carpet. Mm-hmm. And her poor daughter, I remember her daughter, right. we used to get high and, and her daughter could never come out of the room. How old was your daughter? Like 14 and just right. was stuck in her bedroom while right. we got high all over the house. Yeah. And But uh, she was like, I want carpet. Let's get carpet. And my buddy was like, I work for a carpet guy. Right. So we went and broke into this guy's garage and took like a big roll of carpet uh-huh. and just brought it to her. And she gave us the biggest bag of Coke I've ever gotten for right. free for this carpet. And we mean these kids went to a hotel and they broke the mirror off the wall and they put it on the floor, on the table, and we dump it out. And my first question to these two, I was like, you guys can get money? And they're like, why? I'm like, because when this is gone, we need more. Right, And they're like, right. but this isn't even gone. And I'm like, right. you're not focusing, bro. Right, right. You better have money or you ain't touching this. Right. Like, I want more already. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I relate to that, but not to that extreme. Yeah. I was sort of the, like, it would only occur to me that I wanted more when it was too late. <laughs> right, right. And it was yeah. like 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and so... You only remember it being bad. That's so interesting. I only remember it being obsessive. I never remember it being, you know, a 20-piece, put it under my mattress and do some tomorrow. I don't remember... You never had that. I don't remember... I know there's nights that that happened, but I just remember the obsession. Yeah. I always obsessed from the time I started. It was always like... And then someone showed me how to freebase at one point in this Coke era, and I liked it because I didn't upset. For some reason, when I smoked... Freebase, I did not obsess. Right. So I was like, oh, I can do it this way. Right. I thought. And that lasted about a week of not obsessing. And then as soon as I didn't know how to cook it, I was horrible. I would waste it. I would. I tried so many times to do it in my bathroom and I could not. It would just be gone. Right. So I'm like, I'm going back to sniffing it. And yeah. then and then that's when, and then I ran into some girl in a diner. Thank God I got clean. I got clean a week after this little girl. She's my waitress. We grew up in the same neighborhood. She's like, so what's up? Like, my mom went to the bathroom. She's like, she's a drug addict. She's like, what's going on? What are you doing? I'm like, smoking crack, man. I'm a mess. And she's like, dude, you should shoot it. Oh my I was God. like, what? She's like, just shoot it in your arm, man. You, you could save so much money if you just shoot it. And you're like, we're doing this, like, oh economical conversation. My mom's in the bathroom talking about how we can save money but still get high. Yeah. And she, I was like, so in my arm? She goes, just shoot it in your arm. I'm like, maybe I'll do that. Right. Like, I considered it, and then yeah. thank God I went to, to detox. Thank God. Yeah, isn't that weird? <clears throat> it's sort of like whatever came up as mm-hmm. the I, you know I did heroin once because it only came up once. Right, right. Loved it. Right. Luckily, it never came up again. Thank God. You know, um, did you didn't think of it as a oh because my buddy got really hooked on heroin because he took it he was to take his off the crack he would always buy a bag of heroin right. and come off the crack so he didn't Jones. Mine was like I knew it was a, I did I never did crack like I right. knew it was a big thing to do heroin for some reason it was never a big thing to do coke right. but like I, I was like this is a decision but right. I made it within a second right, but right. I understood that it was a decision right like um, next level decision yeah mm-hmm. yeah but okay so so you are like doing your crack you are miserable were you suicidal um I just felt hopeless like I don't know if I ever considered offing myself but mm-hmm. I just felt like this is I'm never going to be able to get better. There's no way I'm going to live a normal life. Right. 
And so, and so then what were the series of events that brought you to detox? <clears throat> I, um, again, tried to quit my mom. Here's what happened. I, I used to rob my mom. My, after I was robbing my father so mm-hmm. much, I didn't realize he was leaving the money for me. So I was starting to get scared. My father's 6'3", 300 pound, you know, prison guard. So I started to realize he's going to beat me down if I keep stealing his money. Right. So let me go back to looking for my mom's money. Right. My mom had to sleep on her money on her pillow because I would find it anywhere she put it. She says, if you want to find money, call Mike because his nose will find the money. So she was sleeping on her money and I reached in, took it out of her pillow while she was sleeping on it. That's like tooth fairy shit. Yeah, yeah, the worst kind of tooth fairy. Like, I actually take your teeth that are still in your mouth. Like, <laughs> they weren't ready to go yet. So, yeah. Yeah, so I took it. She woke up as I was stealing it, and then I crumbled up my hand. And I never was honest about my what I've done in my life. And she's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, ah, oh, I was just coming. I swear to God. So I'm just coming in to give you a kiss goodnight. Mm-hmm. Serious? Yeah. So I walked out of the, her room into my living room and she followed me. And she's like, you're not leaving this house with my goddamn money to get high. I'm like, I don't have your money. Mm-hmm. She's like, I had $60. I now have $20. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't take it. Right. <laughs> I put $60 on my pillow and you didn't take it. Yeah. And I would not get honest. <clears throat> and finally, she was like, I'm telling you right now, you're not. You leave this house, I'll call the cops. I'm like, You'll never come back in. And I was just sitting there with this money in my hand. I didn't want her to see it. And I'm just... And I just broke down crying. I handed it to her. I said, I can't stop. I can't stop. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't stop. I cannot. Every day I think I go to bed, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do it differently. I wake up and do the same thing. I can't stop. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so she said, you want to go to the hospital to get help? I'm like, no, I don't need that. I just need to, I need to not do drugs. Mm-hmm. And I tried like three or four days and then I wound up getting high again. Mm-hmm. And then we had a, my mom followed me to the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And when I copped, I drove back around because I, I stole from my father again and I drove back around and she was standing right in front of the drug dealer yelling up to his house going, if you come down here again, I'll personally kill you. I mean, the crazy thing about that is, first of all, that she did that yeah. is beyond loving and bossy. Yeah. But also that like, you don't think of that stuff as working. You know, they always tell parents just, you know, yeah. just you can't control it. You know, mm-hmm. all you got to do is set some boundaries and that person, you know what I mean? Right. You got to leave it on that person. The ball's in their court. Yeah. yeah. And she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, so then I saw her and I was like, you seriously go get home. And she was like, pull that fucking car over now. And, uh, I was like, uh, pull the car over and the friend of the family that worked for that paint company. He, uh, he was there and he's like, get in the car. I left my car in Jersey city, mm-hmm. left it. And she she jumped in my car and she took my car and I got in his car and uh, we just drove home and she was like you need help and I was like well then take me to the hospital what do you want from me mm-hmm. so she took me to a detox and on the way I was crying I was felt so good to get it off my chest like I'm fine I'm done mm-hmm. went to detox they let me out in three days I was a good student mm-hmm. and I left in three days and I went to one meeting mm-hmm. and I was like nah I'm good I don't even know right. I'm done I don't want to use again, but I don't need all this hoopla. Right, right. Uh, they're hugging me and handing me papers with their number Holding on it. Hands. We're good. Yeah. All good. Uh, thank you. Yeah. But I'm never using it again. I quit. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And that lasted for about five days on my own. Yeah. And I went and got high again. Yeah. And then I came home and she knew they came. I was sleeping and she snuck up in my room and looked under my bed and saw the crack paraphernalia. Oh my God. And she was like, I knew it. And I was like, I don't know what to do, man. So she took me back to that same hospital, let me back in. Three weeks later, I did six days in the detox, and when I was in there, some old woman from was giving him was in a meeting. You know, she's they brought a meeting in. Yeah, like H and I stuff. Yeah, some old she was like a thousand years old, mm-hmm. and everyone there was like this one young crackhead who was talking about. I like he was all into it, and it was she was just so subdued. And she was like, I just you know I go to meetings and my life has gotten better, and I'm like. Oh, that that was all I need. And I was like, yeah. that woman said, I go to meetings and my life gotten better. It was like so simple. Like yeah. these other people were talking about all this shit they do. Yeah. And then she just said, I go to a place and I'm better. Right. That's all I got to do. I can do that. And I put my hand up while she was talking. I was like, hello, hello, hello. And I'm like, so I can just go to meetings and I'll be better. And she's like, yeah, well, shut up. I'm talking. Right. <laughs> and I was like, got it. Thank you. That's all I needed. I, and I came out and I, and I went to meet. I did it. Did you go all the time? I went all the time. Unfortunately, I don't as much, you know I mean? I'm not as tapped into the It's hard to fellowship. stay. I mean, it's, you know, I'm already, I'm, I'm. How much? I'll be 14 in November. Okay. 
and it's one of the first times that I'm slacking off a little and doing right. okay with it. Right. That's what worries me. Well, I'm. I got a, my whole thing is, and I can talk to you about it. Right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. This, this is wide open. Okay. Yeah. However you want to do it. Okay. Good. Uh, because uh, I am a hundred percent pro twelve and twelve. Yeah. Because I know what it did for me. Yeah. And I know what it does for me still. Yeah. It changed who I am. So it's not like the constant vigilance that we talked about. We talked about. I have constant vigilance. Like I made it. I chose. I make a decision every day. I don't want to use drugs or alcohol. Right. I love my life. There's not one thing that can benefit if I was able to drink socially. I can't see a positive. Yeah. I've never heard one acceptance speech at an awards and going, the one thing I'm grateful for is that my ability to drink <laughs> successfully. I have one challenge to that. What about dating? Going. Do you think that would be easier with drinking? Yes. You know what I think would be even easier for me as a comic? Dating would be because everyone's, the people who drink are more uncomfortable than I am. Like, I don't oh, care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink up, get drunk. I don't care. Do you think? But people think that they can't. Yeah, they think you're a cop. And like yeah, or they can't let their hair down because they think I'm uptight. I'm like, yeah. I don't care right. what you do. It doesn't affect me. Yes. I don't think you're a lush. I, I don't think the problem isn't alcohol and drugs. I'm the problem. Yeah. The drugs and alcohol are fine. Some people are going to enjoy them forever. I wasn't able to do that. Yes. Um, I think we all sort of feel. At, at first, I did not feel that way at all. Right. And. Um, I, I remember, you know, how people go, do you mind if I drink? And you're all, for, obviously, for like 10 years, I've been like, whatever, 13 years. I've been like, sure. No, please, right. please. But I remember in the very beginning, my, I went out with my family, and, and they ordered, like, my brother wanted, like, a glass of ice brunch. No, he wanted a bottle of wine for the table. And it was, like, 11 in the morning. He goes, do you, do you mind, Anna? And I was newly sober. I was like, uh-huh. I mind. Really? And he was so pissed. I'm like, you asked. Right, 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 right. But, um... But, you know, lots of people, so if there's one gripe that I hear from people about being sober, like, yeah. it's the dating thing. It is uncomfortable. Like, me and my buddy will look at, like, Tinder, right? We'll yeah. Just, and then, like, girls, like, with their, their, their profile pick is, like, them in a wine. Oh, really? Like, I can't swipe to the right, unfortunately. Yeah. You're cute yeah. as but you're really about the wine. Yeah. And I can't, that's the one thing that if I was ever scared, it would be wine, because it seems like... Everyone enjoys it at dinner. Right. I didn't really do that. So, yeah. I, I mean, I got high. I didn't do wine. Yeah. But it looks fabulous. And but that, does it, when you think about, like, having a glass of wine, doesn't that sound horrible? It does. You know why? Because the, the one little glass that you see somebody eating, drinking right before oh, yeah. dinner, looks amazing. You know what doesn't look amazing? When the red is dried up on their lips, and they've the had nine tea. of them. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, this is good. And you could smell it on them. Like, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, I'm yeah, good. Yeah. I missed that. I'm all right. But also, to me, I mean, maybe you just didn't do enough drinking without drugs, but, like, I know what it feels like to have a glass of wine or two beers, and it feels awful. Like, right. I want, you know, nine beers, a couple shots, and coke. <laughs> right. You know no, what I mean? I get, yeah, yeah. It's like... I used to say, when I said, I'm like, if I can drink successfully, I would do that every day. Yeah. Like, that's what I... My yeah. brain isn't, like, a glass of wine and some salmon. It just yeah. isn't that. Right. It looks great, but yeah. that's not who I am. I know that. Uh, but when somebody, when I'm on a date, I think, yeah, it would be easier because that person would be way more comfortable if I drank. Do you ever feel like, you know, especially when you were, you know, had less variety, uncomfortable dating and wishing, you know, missing it then? Well, but I used to, I was hardcore for a while with the program, so if I wouldn't date anybody who drank, yeah. I wouldn't be in that situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't smell it on my... Until I got about six years, I didn't even step foot in a bar. Right. I was hardcore. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I was so afraid to return that I didn't know that. I didn't realize when early in sobriety that this is my choice. Mm -hmm. This whole thing is my choice. Mm -hmm. Even the people I've met in sobriety, they can say, you know what you're doing wrong? You know, it doesn't really matter because this is my choice. I don't care what you think I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. This whole life of mine is my choice. Mm -hmm. And But when I first came here, I was so afraid to do anything wrong. Because I didn't want to go back to that. Mm -hmm. So I just did whatever you told me to do. This is what I do. I'm and did you meet militant people who said, you know, you should not go into a bar? No oh, my God. Do. Especially because I went, you know, to the hardcore fellowship. You know what I mean? Oh, the PG? The, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the NA fellowship, which is... Oh, I didn't, I've never been. Is it uh, way more hardcore? Well, it's a lot more, you know, like, don't go anywhere. You want to, you better, you want to, you want to put a, a needle in your neck again? I'm like, I never really had one ever. <laughs> 
well, you can. I'm like, I'm sure I can. I don't, yeah. I'm not thinking about that. But they were hardcore and I was grateful for them because they kept me straight. Yeah. Like, and I needed that. They didn't yell at me. They were just like, if you want this, this is what you got to do. Yeah. Then when you start going to bars, some of those militants are like, I can't believe you're hanging in a bar. I'm like, yeah. now I work in bars every night. That's why I'm, I don't even think about it. I could hand somebody yeah. nine beers. I don't even think I just hand, doesn't yeah. even cross my mind. I don't care. Yeah. This is, I love my life. Why do I, that, that doesn't affect me. Your amazing sounding mother must have been kind of shocked, or did she expect it to work out this whole time? What that I was the transformation. Oh, uh, she knew that if I put my if that if I got help, I would be okay. Mm -hmm. I was her baby, so Mm -hmm. I'm her baby, so I'm always gonna be okay. Uh, But she's still, it's 20, you know, almost 22 years later, she's still like, Are you hanging out with a girl she drank? Are you okay with that? Like, right. yeah, mom, I'm good. I'm right. Good. Well, just be careful. Like, she still, yeah. she remembers that guy. She never wants that guy back. Yeah, I don't blame her. So, uh, so she's still cautious, very cautious. So, okay, and and um, so you've sort of eased that. Well, when did you get into doing the recovery comedy? How long were you sober? Well, okay, so I know that you, and I had Alonzo Bobman recently. I know, I saw that on your website. And like, and so he, like you, never thought about being a comic till he got sober. Yeah, and I didn't think about it till nine years in. Yeah. Yeah, I was nine years nine years clean with my sponsor at the time. I was like, you ever think about doing comedy? I'm like, no, I don't even know what that is. He's like, you, still, you, you tell funny stories, you share funny, you make everybody laugh at weird stuff. Why don't you try doing comedy? And I'm like, I never even thought about it. Yeah. And he was a, a guitar, he used to do guitar open mics. He's like, why don't you come to one of my open mics and do comedy? And so I did, he said, you're going to do 20 minutes at my next open mic. And I was like, all right, I wrote jokes and it went up and I was like, oh my God, I fell in love. And so did you, you wrote jokes on the spot? I, you know what I did? I just wrote stuff I've always been saying in the diner for nine and years. And worked? And it worked. Well, I'm not a comedian, mm-hmm. but I will tell you, Women's Health assigned me a story. This was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Right. Um, it was called, Would You Dare? And so they assigned people's stories about something that scared them or something right, they like shouldn't like public speaking do. or something like that. Yeah, and so they assigned me, like, they gave me a couple choices. I don't remember what the other choice was, but I was like, oh, I'll do the stand-up comedy thing because I'm real funny. Right. And I thought by getting up and kind of saying the same stuff that made my friends laugh, it would work. And, you know, I totally bombed. Right, right, right. <laughs> which made for a better story. You know, right. I've been super great at it. Yeah. You know, what I've written. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I t- tell stories and things and things that I made fun of recently. Mm-hmm. I just made I just brought on stage and I wrote them out. Like I understood that it had to be like I had to have a beginning, a middle, and an end to every mm-hmm. joke. So I understood that. So I'm like, I'll just do that on stage to see why am I saying this joke? What's funny about it? And now get up, how do I get to the next joke? Mm-hmm. And that's what I wrote that out. Mm-hmm. And I did that in a bar with eight people in it in Midtown in uh, about a block away from the Trade Center uh, and it was uh, people there was like two black women came in to go to the bathroom and they just watched me mm-hmm. and they were, when I came off stage like boy you got rhythm that's your first time on stage and I'm like yeah she's like man you got that you got that and I was like really and then some guitarist was like dude that's your first time ever and I'm like yeah and he's like well you just inspired me to be a comic I don't even want to do guitar anymore <laughs> And I was like wow like it was uh, and that's I was, amazing and I was done I was so addicted to it that I, I wanted to quit my job at that moment. What were you doing? I'm a, a salesman is what I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't do it now, but that's what I was, an outside mm-hmm. sales rep. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ever wanted to do. When I worked in that paint store, mm-hmm. I couldn't get off drugs enough. I just wanted to be a, a paint manufacturing sales rep. Like, it's just like this woman came in, she's had like her sample box. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be that person. Mm-hmm. That's all I ever wanted because I thought that was what a, like a man was. Like, yeah. Like a guy with a bag you know what I mean like yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. suit tie kind of undone a little bit that was a man so I just that a friend of mine recently told me that's why you wanted to be a sales rep so much because you it were in such hell you thought that was normal right what a shit job compared to being a comic yeah right yeah right oh my god yeah Ugh. so and so was it a struggle or did you have success from the get-go what for comedy mm-hmm well, no, because, I mean, it was, I got laughs off the bat. Yeah. And, like, you know, things, you, you took it slow, because I have a full-time job, I have a full-time job, so it was just, like, comedy was at the night. It wasn't, like, I never thought about it as a career. It was just mm-hmm. the thing I did every night. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the recovery humor was easy. That was the second show I ever did was a recovery show, and I did 20 minutes of recovery humor. 
that stuff I've always said in meetings about going to getting a key tag in 90 meetings in 90 days, that kind of stuff. And Wait, I just, what? Give me some of it. Like in, in, in NA, you get a white key tag. And yeah. My, and my thing was like, you give me a key tag? Like, I don't even got keys. Like, <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with this? And you must like give me a wallet. You know, I'm just getting clean. I have nothing. Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. So uh, it was that. And then 90 meetings in 90 days, how you tell somebody to go to 90 and 90. And they're like, really? Like, what, what do you got going on? Like, I don't know about you, but when I stopped smoking crack, my schedule pretty much cleared up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm available every day. Yeah. Because that's all I did was get hot, you know? Yeah. So I did those jokes. And then I did personal jokes with people in the room, like mm-hmm. like stories. And that was just, it was killing. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to gear my material to recovery for a while. That's what I did in the beginning. And now most of my, I don't do, I hardly do any recovery like mm-hmm. shows anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you would do like conventions? I was and- doing tons of conventions. Now, lately, because of Last Comic Standing, people are wanting me to do their conventions. But they don't pay like real gigs, huh? Actually. No, do they? Uh, good to I, know. Yeah. That's good to know. Because mm-hmm. I've talked to people who did like one offs. Right. And they were like, yeah, it wasn't great money. Some of it's, I'll tell you this, I don't like to use the fellowship names, but the one, the other, <laughs> the other fellowship. They the don't pay a lot. One. Yeah, they don't yeah. pay a lot because, unlike an NA convention, NA convention charges for every little extra thing you want to do. Oh, so you can charge. So if you want to go, to the, yeah, we have to pay registration fee because you're in a hotel, and the hotel charges us to be there. So you got to pay some rent to hang out for three days. Right. So that's usually like twenty bucks, and that goes towards the hotel itself and, and renting out rooms so we can have you meetings. get a ho- you get a room for 20 bucks no 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 sorry no like banquet rooms to do meetings in yeah got it so if you come in you register you get 20 bucks for registration you can go to all the meetings yeah meetings are normally free but we're not in a free zone we're yeah. in a hotel so yeah. we gotta get 20 bucks help for the cost so that does that and then some like and uh, you want to go to the dance it's five bucks to get into the dance because we gotta pay the DJ you want to go to a comedy show it's ten bucks to go to a comedy show that's what they charge for everything in the big fellowship they do not yeah it's just $15 to get in for everything so that's why their budgets are low because they can't afford it. there's no money coming in and then because it's so big I bet they can get good talent yes because people are like oh I want to be of service exactly and, and, I, and I don't and I used to do it like for for dirt just to do it just, yeah. to, just to because I was always giving back but now there's a guy who passed away recently, like three years ago, Mikey D. Yeah. You remember Mikey D? Mikey yeah, D. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was so sad yeah. to the to the comedy oh community. Oh, my God. And to, to recovery community because he was really like a, a voice for recovery. Like he was that rough guy that was bringing like what we do in recovery to the mainstream. So, um, but when he, uh, when I first started doing comedy, he was already in demand at yeah. the conventions but he would give like this insane amount of money for what he wanted and I, and I was new and I was judgmental and I'm like who's this guy yeah. he, he service yeah. service and then now that I'm busy like he's busy like you I get it like I didn't get it at the time but you're asking a man to not work yeah the night like I can't not work yeah so if you're gonna have my whole weekend because if you're doing one night you're pretty much your whole weekend shot because you can't do Friday somewhere yeah. because they want you for both nights so you're just doing one night yeah and you're you, losing money I'm losing money so you can't split the difference with me you gotta give me half of what I would've made yeah and that's what he would be asking half of what he, want, he would make and I realize it now yeah I'm like oh that's what I mean did you ever hear his uh, TED talk do uh, uh, mock storytelling oh my gosh the best yeah they play it on um, NPR a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, I just heard it over the weekend again. Beautiful. Um, and he did his one-man show based on that story. Okay. And his, we can say his full name. Did you say his full name? Yeah, Mike Stefano. Yeah. He, um, he right before he was working on a one-man show, and him and his his agency and his management were working on the show, and they produced it, and they got it on film. So they're going to be releasing that as soon okay. as a short. Um, it was all about his wife and the AIDS and all of that stuff. It was all that that story they tell us the moth. It was like that, but for an hour. Wow! About his whole life, and it's all he wanted to do was tell his wife's story. It's basically all he ever wanted to do was get that story out. So he finally got it out, and he was in when he filmed it. He was in the green room, and and his manager was like, "Hey, you want to go outside? People want to congratulate you." And he was emotionally drained. He's like, "Just give me a minute, because uh, that's all I really wanted to do was to tell that story." Mm-hmm. And three days later, he died. Mm. So, like, I kind of feel, like, I don't believe in a lot of things like that, but I kind of feel like he was just, like, that was what his purpose, to get yeah. that story out, and then his heart was like, I'm good. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he died young. Yeah, he was only, uh, what, 46? Yeah. And a massive heart attack. Yeah. You know, that's scary. That's the one person. You hear all these people die. That, that one, him dying really scared me. It's like it just happened out of nowhere. I start thinking about, he just was dead. Like, there's no goodbyes to anybody. He's yeah. just gone? Yeah. Like, I don't get to say goodbye to anybody. I just yeah. Get to, I just get to, nobody has to see me. That's it. It's over. Well, a lot of addicts in comedy have died. Not a lot, but yeah. I mean a number. Yeah, a lot of overdoses, too. I mean, like yeah. Greg Geraldo. And Mitch. And Mitch Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both died in Jersey. Uh, uh, both died pretty much for the, doing the same club. Oh, I feel like I heard that. Yeah, they were doing a stress factory. Um, so, what were we on? That was Okay, so yeah, recovery comedy kind of like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, about they, how they charge. So, and by uh, the way, some of the comedians that I've heard mm-hmm. from that are not that funny, is all I'm going to say. Good, good call. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's a wide variety in terms of who's funny. Now, that's the one thing, and I don't, I'm not bragging, but people bring me out. I've been, come, I've been brought out to Missouri, Texas, I'm going to Houston. People bring me out because my brand of comedy of, in, for the rooms is so specific yeah and it is like I'm up there talking about things that they're talking about right there I'm not like preaching I'm not giving them you don't have a canned yeah I'm not thing. giving a funny meeting yeah that's yeah. all it really is sometimes these guys are like funny speakers yeah versus a comic I'm yeah. kidding I'm doing stand up comedy and I'm not making corny jokes about I break out in handcuffs I'm not doing none of that okay. crap but that's what you see. It's like, really? You just said break out of handcuffs? There's nine guys who are not comics who just said it in the meeting next door. Right. You know? Right. Come on. Well, that's the other thing is, at least in L.A., comedy is so high in meetings. Right. I mean, it's like there are a lot of hilarious people. Really? Oh, yeah. So I would hear some of these recovery comics, and I'm like, no, they're, you're not as funny as the people I hear <laughs> in my Regular speaking. Meeting. Yeah. Right. Oh, you're just sharing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um... So, okay, and so then when did Last Comic come along in in terms of your sobriety? So you're doing the recovery comedy, and then? I'm doing recovery comedy, and that's, like I said, where I got my start, but then I was working clubs, because that's where you do comedy every night, is in clubs, so I started to pull away from doing just recovery comedy and developed an hour of regular comedy, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I've been going with that. And then I guess about a year and a half ago, I got a manager who submitted me for Last Comic in January. Wait, it was only this recent one? This past season. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. This past season. Okay. And so I went out to audition. I came out in February to audition mm-hmm. in front of 20 people. Mm-hmm. It was uh, all the producers and Wanda Sykes was in the back. Mm-hmm. You couldn't see her, but you can hear her. And yeah. I could just hear her laughing. Like, ha, <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, I just made Wanda laugh like that. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, they gave me a, pl- a four-minute audition. They were clapping. Uh, I was like, oh, oh, so good. I walked. I mean, this is... True, so I walked out. The woman who was just her job was to open and close the door for you. She hugged me, mm-hmm. said, You're amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I walked out, and, and they, they kind of like you did at the Lovitz Comedy Club. So when they dump you out of the audition, you're in Universal boom, City. You're in the middle of Universal City. Yeah. By yourself, you got to walk down to a shuttle van. Yeah. So I'm just standing there, and I'm kind of walking, and I got kind of like to a dead end, and I just started crying. Mm-hmm. And I called my daughter, and she's 17 now. She, I was like, Sam, I nailed it. I mean, I don't know if they're going to call me back for that show, but I'll tell you right now, even if they don't call me, I nailed it. Yeah. Like, it ain't going to be on me. Yeah. At the end of the day, if they're looking, they're checking because of something else. It's not because of what I just did in there. Yeah. And I felt relieved. I was amazed. When I got the call that I got it, it was anticlimactic because I felt like, I even if you could have called me and said I didn't get it, I felt like I did my job. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, then I got to get this show, and I came out and filmed the first round, made it through the first round to the semifinals, and then I didn't go any further because mm-hmm. I got out of my out of the moment and into the bigger picture. You did? Yeah, and that, that, you can't do that. So you know the second it happened in your material? The second it happened, before going on, I was like, I'm, I'm all about the win, and I, need, I know how much it's going to change my life, and I could not shake that thought. Yeah, that's interesting. I, this is very low stakes, comparatively speaking. But yesterday I was in the hip hop dance class. Right. <laughs> and um, this teacher's so good. Oh my God. Benjamin Allen, if anyone's listening, you've got to go to his class. Okay. So he's such a gifted teacher that, you know, usually go to hip hop dance class, you can't do shit. Right. He is so good that it doesn't matter how bad you are remembering combinations, you get it in his class. Okay. And, the, and then I'd be like, 
I literally even give me thoughts like, oh, so-and-so saw me do this now. They'd be so impressive. But they couldn't do it. And every time I did that... You would mess up. I couldn't remember the information. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is the best practice for staying in the moment. Yes. that's uh, Maybe I should do it just to stay in the moment. You, you, you know, it's... Yeah, it, it's the best practice I know of. Right. Better than meditation. Really? Because I really... You You're have focused. to... You gotta... If you don't stay, you better just leave the class. Right, right. You're not gonna be able Right, to right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you know what I feel like when you're not in the moment. Yeah, it And and they did a couple of things like they were really great to all comics. They didn't make one comic look bad this season because Wanda's a, a comic, so she made all the comedians. Even when you got voted off, your fans were like, "What did he? Why? Mm-hmm. He didn't. They didn't show bad comedy." Mm-hmm. But my second, my semifinal set was uh, I forced it, and I was trying to be this guy they wanted me to be. But I was already that guy. Yeah. So it's like, with, you're trying to be somebody you already are. Why are you forcing it? So did you know at that moment, you're like, I'm done? Oh, as soon as I was done. You just go in the green room, they put all the cameras, they want to see you come back. Yeah. Because it's reality. Yeah. And as soon as they walked in, someone said, uh, so is your, are your kids going to college? I'm like, no, nah, that was never in the cards. But if they were waiting on that set, they're definitely not going to college. Right. And the camera was like, yeah, I didn't nail it. I, I, was, I forced it. Yeah. The, the audience was dead. They were paid Hollywood audience. I don't want to talk crap about your neighborhood, but when you pay... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they were just it. like... They've been there seven hours. I went up five hours after they've been there. Five hours in yeah. that theater. There was like old people just staring at me like, what's... what's the Montalban? Is that where you did it? Yeah. Yeah. And they were done. They were yeah. done. It was Friday. And I was like, I was like, all right, well, there's no energy. And instead of like, as a normal, in a normal comedy club, I would, I would roll back and take their energy. But there I was like trying to be this hyped up dad, angry dad again. Like that's not the energy they were giving you. Yeah. I should have went with what they were giving me and I didn't. And yeah. I forced it and I was forcing it. And my best, my, one of my good friends was in the audience. He was like, you're forcing it. And I'm like, I, he just would like eye contact. I'm like, I'm yeah, just, yeah. I can't, I can't stop it now. I'm already in this bit that's yeah. forcing this bit. And yeah. I'm like forcing, I'm like, ugh. In the middle of it, I'm like, ugh, what is going on here? Yeah. And at the end, even like the first, like... Roseanne said I didn't get your character this time I didn't get you this time I think you did it all wrong mm-hmm. like you set it up wrong I was like yeah and I, I can't argue mm-hmm. but so how did just being on Last Comic change your career well now I can get into clubs without actually you know a lot of times as a comic you try to get into a club and like yeah you have a clip mm-hmm. I don't have to say that I was my gaff that was just on Last Comic Standing and I was like a main like they used me in all the promos, mm-hmm. every talk show, when they showed a clip of the show was my clip. Mm-hmm. I was like the main focus because they mm-hmm. really felt like I was gonna, yeah, I could have won. Just my story alone, recovering, single dad raises his kids. You know, uh, my act is all based on me being a dad and single and yelling at my moron kids. Like they like all of that. So yeah. it's a sitcom. That's a guy to root for. Yeah, exactly, and that's what they were hoping for. But I, since I didn't really produce on that set, they could not put me through. They wanted to, but they just, I didn't give them enough. Yeah. If I would have gave them a little more, they would have put me through. Well, what about how every, do you believe everything happens the way it's meant to, and so that was supposed to happen? I believe that was supposed to be, because there was a couple things production-wise that they cha- made me change, like the way I dressed. Mm-hmm. And I should have been more uh, confident in who I am and said, no, I'm good. This is what I wear. Right. You're not dressing me. But I, my first time dealing with a network, so you just like, I guess I should play all the game. You know, play it. Yeah. You know, do whatever they say. Show them you're workable. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But it took yeah, me out a of fine who, line. It took me out of who I was. So that's the lesson I learned is, and I talked to Russell Peters. He was one of the judges, and I saw him a couple of weeks later in New York, and he was like, because they put me in an outfit that I would never wear in a theater. Mm-hmm. I wear it hanging out, but never in a theater. I always wear... Dress shoes, nice pants, and this shirt button up. I, mm-hmm. I just try to dress halfway decent in a theater. Mm-hmm. They put me in a hoodie, jeans, and sneakers. Right. And I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable. The very first words out of Russell Peters' mouth when he was judging me, who dressed you? What are you wearing? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't want to be Trash. that guy. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I didn't pick this. Mm-hmm. And he was like, why? I'm like, yeah, I didn't pick this. So when I saw him in New York, I'm like, yeah, they told me to wear this. And he was like, why? He's like, they wanted me to look like a blue-collar dad. He's like, you are a blue-collar dad. Yeah, you know, like, whatever you wear is what a blue-collar dad would wear. I'm not a guy playing a blue-collar dad. 
Yeah. Let me wear what I wear. Yeah. And that was kind of got my head. And then they gave me some critiques on how I opened my act. And I changed it to their style. But that's not my style. Yeah. And Wanda was trying to help me do it the way I would have done it. But I was like, no, I took their notes. I'm going to change. And she was like, okay, well, if you made changes. Because she was like a mentor on the show. And I made changes to adapt to what they said. But it wasn't who I was. So when I came out, I normally come out. I stay on stage for a second. I kind of call attention to something going on in the moment to get me in the moment. So right before I came on, they did a makeup check on me. And I had makeup on for like four hours. And the woman was like, your makeup isn't moved. I'm like, yeah, because I have no idea how to deal with this. So I haven't touched myself at all. Mm-hmm. I'm like very stiff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I said to her, I'm like, no wonder my daughter's always aggravated. You can't touch your face. Once yeah. you have makeup on, you can't touch yourself. I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, I'm itching. I'm trying to like, I don't want to ruin it. And the makeup woman laughed. Now I would have went out there and said, I've that little story. Yeah. Just for that 30 seconds. Yeah. To get me in the moment. Real, yeah. But uh, they told me, don't do that kind of stuff. Get right to your material. So I went out right into material. And Roseanne was like, you kind of like went right into your material. I'm like, Haha. yeah. Yeah. You told me to. But so do you yet see why it was meant? To, was it meant to teach you those lessons? I, that's how I'm looking at it. Yeah. It meant to teach me those lessons. Also meant for me to make those contacts I made. And to show the like to for myself that I can do it if I put my mind to it and I focus. I can nail an audition that's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I can do certain things. I can be a part of this community out here. I'm a New York comic. I'm an East Coast comic, but I can do it here. Yeah, but it's much like real comics don't think it's real out here, right? <clears throat> well, c- comics were just grinding comics. There's no reason to be out here. Yeah. Because this is, you're out here because you want to be on a billboard somewhere. Yeah. You know, this, that's how we feel. You don't come out to LA unless you're working on some sort of project. Yeah. If you want to be a grinding comic, you just stay on the East Coast and work. Yeah. Because we can make a lot more money doing comedy over there than they can. And you can practice in Every, a million clubs. All night long. Yeah. I mean, you got guys like Dane Cook who can get up anywhere. There's a, there's a few out here that can get up anywhere. Yeah. But most of the guys are grinding a little some crap restaurant bar yeah you know with three people getting drunk over Thai food out yeah. here yeah. And, I, and there's like 12 I can do 12 spots a night if I wanted to run around in New York yeah 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 and there's a lot of one nighters in New York that they don't have out here like they don't even understand like I do firehouses and nights at Columbus's and they pay great money if I put two of those together in a weekend I can make 1500 for a weekend there's nobody making 1500 in LA doing comedy on the weekend yeah. Unless they hit the road somewhere. I can drive yeah. 20 minutes and make that money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a different... It's a different situation. Yeah. So like I'm trying to make a living doing comedy. Of course, television and the big screen would be great, but I need to make a living doing comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in terms of recovery, how does it help your comedy career in terms of like one day at a time, any of that stuff? You know what helps me? And, and you hate to say, you ever hear somebody is like, I'm very humble. And I mean, yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. you just lost that. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's like saying we're in a fancy restaurant. Like, yes. you wouldn't really be saying that. Exactly. You yeah, know? You don't call it. But I believe being in the program has helped me with humility. Yes. And I'm humble and I'm not at all arrogant. And I'm very, like, <clears throat> welcoming to anybody around me. I'm very, like, nice to new people. Like, like, being in the, in the program, you always welcome newcomers. Yeah. And like, I'm like that with new comics. Somebody who's brand new to it, like the game, and they're like looking around, like, what do I do? I'm like, I'm very helpful. Mm-hmm. So I try to, uh, I think that's all a direct result of doing that in the program. Yeah, that's interesting. You know. Well, I feel like that's a good note to end on. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like also, how great is it that the record button that's, stayed on this whole time? Did you, I checked 3,000. I saw you and. I know. My whole time, I'm like, wow, that was really good what we just said. I hope to God it's on there. I know. And I never want people to think that I'm, like, I take every glance away from you very personally. You know if you're sharing in a meeting, this happened to me yesterday, and you're, you talk to the speaker. Because, like, that's who you need to focus on. And the speaker's looking away or talking mm-hmm. about, it's just like, no one's listening. It's how yes. I feel. Abs- I have a, one of my jokes is, you ever, like, when somebody, when the speaker's speaking, I always make, as they're speaking, I look right in their eyes. Yeah. But like sometimes a speaker will just focus on you and oh, yeah. it makes you uncomfortable. Like, all right, man. I feel special when they do that. I feel like lock, I'm locked up. Like, like, come on, look at somebody. There's 19 people in this meeting. You can't yeah. look at someone else? <laughs> Let me out. And then like I, I kind of like wish there was like an explosion off to the right. So he looks away. I'm like, I'm look, don't look at him. He yeah. locks you in. He doesn't let you out. No, don't. He locks you up. <laughs> it's flattering maybe. Maybe you just look like somebody that, you know. I, 
I had a woman, she moved from Arizona to my area, and this was 18 years ago. And she said when she came to a meeting, she was asked to speak. Her friend said, can you speak? She's new to the area. And she comes in, and she just looks out, and then she sees me. <laughs> and she goes, you were the most welcoming face. Yeah. And she goes, she goes, to this day, she's like, no one made me feel more comfortable in a meeting than you looking at me. Because you probably have a smile on your face. Yeah, you and must. I'm, and I'm like... All eager. <laughs> yeah. I'm like all up in there like, oh my God, me too. I do that too. Uh, my, my, my vagina itches. Like, just like I just so identify it at everything. Not the, the AA head nod and yeah, everything. Uh, everything. Uh-huh, yeah, everything. Uh-huh. Do a little moan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pet peeve of mine. When people, they can't experience what's happening on their own, they need to look at you yeah. and be like, huh, get a load of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got it. You do yours. You do yours. Yeah. I'll do my experience. <laughs> I don't need to share it with you. But, um, okay, wait, we tried to end. You're fantastic. Thank you so no, much. Thank for you so much in. for having me. I appreciate it. So glad it. we got thank to you. meet So that was Mike Gaffney coming to you all the way from New Jersey, making a special visit. And I hope you loved him. He's great. Check him out. Uh, funny, sweet, nice guy, sober in 21 years. Yeah. And go to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod to get your free audiobook download and a free membership. See you next time.